having a cup of coffee here, enjoying the morning watching it snow. I promised you all I'd do a follow-up to my podcast the other day. I had more thoughts on my mind. I kind of drifted off into Wayne Dyer, and uh, that was a really fun, fun podcast just to sit and um, wax poetic, shall I say. But think about a man whose life I really... I uh, was inspired by, and um, there was one book I really enjoyed reading, um, to be told that, you know, these these books he wrote uh, were so much on a teacher's sense of how to guide your life, your thoughts, your meditations, your everything is important, and very impactful on my life, and that book especially meant a lot to me, because it was Wayne being totally open about himself and uh, all of his struggles in life. But today, I just wanted to uh, do a little follow-up here. Um, I uh, worked last night, and I decided, I'm trying to see right here. I worked last night, and I decided that I was going to um, go and... Um, take some pictures on my way home and I did I worked the night shift I had to go over two mountains to get there which isn't isn't that big of a deal as it sounds unless it's the winter time and snowing but I went over and worked and I've always said to myself you know when I when I work at this particular place oh I'm gonna get off work and I'm gonna go and hike four or five miles and or uh, especially in the summertime I'm gonna put my hammock up and I'm just gonna sleep out in the woods and not have a care in the world, and it never works that way. I usually get in my car, I start up the road, and I go to where you turn off to go on that part of the route, and go, nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but but today I did. Today I forced myself. I promised my readers I would go and take pictures of the sunrise, because there's always something I see when I'm driving. I see some of the most amazing things, uh, be it the fog coming down through the gorge, looking like a river as it flows down through, or the sun rises, and I never have a chance to get a picture. I never have a chance to pull over. I never have a chance to capture it. And, of course, again, today I didn't have my good camera with me, but I had my phone, and I did capture it. I went out, and I walked through the woods with my poems I wanted to read, and there was nobody there, nobody anywhere up there. Nobody was as crazy as me. It was 30 degrees, it was snowing, and I'm walking back to a cliff face. And on the way there, I'm, I have to understand when you're walking at some peak like that, you're facing upwards. And the whole ridge of the trees was just burning with the beautiful embers of fire of the sunrise. And I got out there, where I've been many, many times in my life. I remember my first time I was there, in fact. I was a little kid, and it scared the hell out of me, because it is a very dangerous place. But I'd never seen the sunrise there before. It was the first time for me at that spot, and it was so exceptionally beautiful. Uh, it was supposed to rain and snow, but it so happened right on the horizon, there was just a little glimmer of a crack in the sky where the sun came through and made like this this burning line across and of all days what what a great day to do that you know i 
have here two pens that I bought. You can't see them, but um, I got the one in the mail today, and I wanted this one for the color of it so much. It I have one like it. They're Noodlers, of course. I really like Noodlers pens. This is a um, an Ahab. A lot of a lot of symbolism goes into these pens. A lot of story to them. And it's it's a demonstrator pen. You can see through it, it but it's not a clear demonstrator. I have another one of his here that is a I believe this is a nib creeper. And I got this in an amber, so it's more of a darker orange color. This one is, uh, I believe it's called, uh, if I butcher this name, I'm sorry. Uh, it's some type of honey. It's a, it's a Carolian, Carolian <laughs> honey. Uh, this type of bee that this pen is built on the color of is a, is a bee from where my family came from in Russia or Czechoslovakia or Ukraine, I should say, whatever they call it. It's the reason my family left. One of the reasons was there were so many wars and the names of the places were changing so much that it lost, uh, it, it lost for them the, the flavor and zest of wanting to be there when you're always fighting in wars and you're, you're a warrior. But, this area of, of the Ukraine, I'll say, in Russia, has, in many ways, it's, it's an area that expands more than most states in most countries would, uh, that this bee came from, as opposed to the Western honeybee, the Italian honeybee. Uh, it's a bee that will outperform any other bee, um, especially the Italian and uh, African bees. This bee has more of an abundance to a sweeter honey, and a um, it doesn't it doesn't uh, let things get to it. It'll still go out and look for for the honey that its hive needs in these circumstances of overcast days, colder weather, you name it. So so what you get with these bees, you get um, a different type of flower that they're feeding from then the bees are out in these other circumstances and it's a better better uh honey that they make and this this pen is nathan tardiff named it that and he based it on that so i have two here this is the um topeki amber which is really nice uh nipper creeper but i wanted the ahab and um It was it was something I really liked, and it came and it just matches the color of that sunrise. Um, I've seen many sunsets, but nothing as beautiful as that sunrise. So I get this pen. Uh, Wayne Dyer would say about um, spontaneity and uh, look for those important um, things that happen in your life that aren't more than coincidence. So this this is what I wrote a couple poems with today already inked it up and um, captured as well in writing what I had seen I have I have had three Ahabs in my my life one one is one is the best nib on it it's a very fine one for some reason it um, is a December 25th pen it's a green 
Christmas tree colored pen that's a solid color you can't see through it like with these demonstrators these demonstrators are always kind of neat they always it, they look they look like something from the long past that you would you would find so my phone just went off I'm still on here yeah but this this pen this pen is a nice one if you ever get a chance to buy them I like I like all of his pens. The Conrad is really nice, but the Ahab, really, you can take it all apart very easily. It's an amazing, heavier, larger pen. I have a larger hand, so to me, a larger pen works well. Um, I love the Conrad as well, but this this is one I wanted. Uh, I've, had, I've had three of them. I had another one in uh, Medieval Lapis that I gave away, and it was my go-to pen. This is what this one's going to be. December 25th one I like. It's it's a nice pen, but I, I like a one I can see through. The Lapis one was a real pretty blue. And if you'd ever been to any of my book signings, you know my, the pen I had because it always sat right there. And I would, get, I would get compliments. People say, wow, that's a really beautiful pen. And I say, yeah, and I tell them the story just like I did to you. And it so happened this past year a good friend of mine, her daughter had a baby and um, they were all inflicted with COVID a few weeks after that. They lost members of their family and uh, I was supposed to be going to her daughter's wedding this year. I was trying to save up for a fort. I'm a couple thousand in the red right now because of other circumstances. So none of it worked out the way I envisioned this year to go. When I I am not complaining about it. I could easily have been a victim of this this plague we're dealing with, this horrible thing, and I still could be. You know, nothing's written in stone. Every day is a precious gift. I say that, and I've said it. It struck me that it was hard on me, and it was a lot harder on my friend's daughter. It was a lot harder on her. So what I did is I sat there and I thought about it to myself. I thought, you know, I was supposed to be going to her wedding and uh it it didn't didn't pan out. Instead I've seen them suffer a lot this year. So for the birth of her daughter, I decided, you know, this is something I can give. This girl likes doing calligraphy. She likes pens. And you give her a pen that has some prominence with it, that I've used it, that people have seen me with it. It has my name associated with it. And maybe someday, you know, I told her, use it. But maybe someday it might be might be worth something because of my, my being a writer, who knows. So it's, it was a gift that... Uh, to me, I've never given away too many pens. I gave one that I had specially made for Valerie's daughter at her graduation. So that's one pen I've given away. Other than that, I don't believe I've ever given away a pen before. And I loved doing it. It was so exciting to me to, to give, give it away. And when I did... I had this moment of sadness, though. I went back and I had my, my 
December 25th pen. I thought, well, I have this one. I can use it. And I have other ones. I have the Conrad now. But I thought, you know, I really missed, missed that pen because it was like something you always had with you. You know, it's always like this pen is going to be with me. I always remember it. You wake up in the morning, your phone, uh, your earbuds, your your notebook, uh, all those things. And it's always that pen is sitting right there. So I wanted something something to replace it in a way. And just, I, I like, like this one a lot. You can look at Nathan's videos on him. He talks a great deal about... Uh, the story that goes into this pen, how he created it, uh, the piston filler on it, and he throws it all into the, the uh, Moby Dick story with the whale. And if you look at the pen and read through it, you'll know that this entire pen, though it looks like a normal pen, is the whole story of Moby Dick and uh, dedicated to that mighty whale. Uh, there's a lot of symbolism in his creation of pens and inks. And even the finish on this, I mean, you think about how uh, it's named after that type of honeybee from uh, the Caucasus Mountains. So that was that was my thing for today was catching that sunset, uh, sunrise, I mean. I always say, I, see, I don't see many sunrises. Um, we don't see very many sunrises at all. It it really is striking when you're driving and you see something like that. That you don't always have your camera on you, but you have that mental memory. And that's why poetry makes it so meaningful meaningfully beautiful to be able to be to be able to write it down and um really feel that I wrote I read a poem that uh Rumi had written back in the twelve hundreds. He was he lived twelve oh seven to twelve seventy three. And I wanted to read another one. It was very cold today. I had all these intentions of reading. And it was so cold I could barely um, even hold the paper today. It was a very large drop in temperature. So I wanted to read another Rumi poem that I'd wanted to read out there. And of course, none of these have names, but Rumi wrote it. It says, don't grieve. Anything you lose comes round in another form. The child weaned from mother's milk now drinks wine and honey mixed. God's joy moves from unmarked box to unmarked box, from cell to cell, as rainwater down into flower bed, as roses up from ground. Now it looks like a plate of rice and fish, now a cliff covered with vines now a horse being saddled. It hides within these things till one day it cracks them open. Part of the self leaves the body when you sleep and changes shape. You might say, last night I was a cypress tree, a small bed of tulips, a field of grapevines. 
Then the phantasm goes away and you're back in the room. I don't want to be any more fearful. Hear what's behind what I say. Ta-dum-dum, ta-dum-dum, ta-dum-dum. There's the gold light of wheat and sun, and the gold of bread make from the wheat. I have neither. I'm only talking about them. As a town in the desert looks up as stars on a clear night. That's from the book, The Enlightened Heart. I have many of Rumi's poems, and it's a nice translation. And I want to do, uh, read that one as well, but I didn't get a chance to. It was a beautiful time to uh, do a poetry reading, and nothing cooperated with me. But it was still very beautiful, and I was mesmerized by that, that sunrise. The other, the other day, it was warmer, and I got out. I, I went up to uh, Portage, PA, where my father was born. And I we would always go up when he was alive to the cemetery and put flowers in the grave. And we drive by the house that he grew up in. Sometimes visit his cousin, who was still alive at the time, and talk. Portage is a small coal town. It's a town that uh, my father and my grandfather worked in the coal mines there. Uh, one one summer, they brought out the most amount of coal as a team, a father-son team. And the following uh, year, there was a mine explosion. My father wasn't working, and neither was my grandfather. But I had many cousins in the Sonmen mine disaster that died. So when I, when I go up to Portage and I see all of the... Um, Coptic writing that's in uh, the cemetery, uh, the Russian Eastern Orthodox, shall we say. It, it brings back a stunning reminder of me what my family and relatives went through in those times. I see the big cross in the middle of the cemetery up there that uh, it's Italian marble. My grandmother... When she passed away, she donated all her money from her will to that. Because there'd been a lead, a lead Jesus on the cross, and people would steal it and make uh, fishing sinkers out of it. So she wanted something there. She never wanted her name on it, that I recall, but I know that it, it has the family name on it. it. It Going up there to Portage... I always feel close to my dad and I always feel like he's there. I feel like I'm going to turn around and he'll be standing there doing something. It, it's so much of his childhood. And I, I, I was, he was in his fifties when I was born. So I missed the whole early part of his life. And people, people say to me, what do, um, what's your father like? You should write a book about these things you have in your mind and some of the things you've written down and the detail and I say, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Because the first 50 years of his life are stories he told me. Speculation. I don't remember all of the names. I don't remember all the people. A lot of the stories would not be as um, open to today's world discussion as they would have been many years ago. People, people were more in their own clannish groups back then especially a lot of the immigrants.
and they came over from another country, spoke a different language. So they were they were every area was broken off in little sections. I said in my last podcast about the young Jewish girl he had dated, and and that was in that time. Two communities within that community that never really related to one another, except to buy uh, meat at the butchers or food or wine, or there was very little crossing of those barriers that at that time were up. It was much of the old world. And that was the world my father grew up in. He spoke both. Um, Slovak and English. So for many of the many of the people he he himself was a translator even as a young kid. To look at Portage now you would have no idea about that. You drive through it, drive under the bridge, go up around the turn, I'm talking the main street, and in two minutes you're out of town. Small town, little patch town, but you don't get a feel for the history. I do. I still hear the stories my dad talking about working at Henry Barnett's beer distributor for summer when the wooden crates, the beer came in wooden crates. I still hear the stories about the silk mill where he, all these women would work uh, on the sewing machines. And he caught the one guy, there were all these, he went in the basement, saw this light shining down, this guy drilled holes up in this this weirdo that was sneaking a peek, shall we say. And my father caught the guy and uh, took care of him in a way that that day and age you could, and was a hero for a while. I have all these stories of my father. I, I have the one where there was a girl that nobody would have ever thought would be the parade queen and homecoming queen. And my father thought highly of her, though she wasn't the most beautiful person in town. And he got this group of people together and said, let's all nominate her. And it caused an uproar. But, but that was my father. He wanted to do something good for somebody. All these stories come back to me of a time that I was not alive at. I want to take something Wayne Dyer kind of said. You know, he would go places and said that he felt that. Something in your DNA, something in your collective consciousness, something in how it's coded into you has memory. And then my father felt this. He went to uh, Czechoslovakia after World War II. He was walking through and walked right to his great-grandfather's grave. He'd never been there before. And he said, it was so weird. He says, everything I saw there, I knew where it was at. I felt like I'd been there before. And there's some scientific proof to this. If you look at how, uh, if you're depressed all the time, if you're pregnant and depressed, your baby will have genetically coded into its uh, brain cells and neuroreceptors more of a tendency to, to feel a depression, to be depressed. As I say at work, and I'm taught to say, we are not depressed, we are depressing. We are not hurt, 
we are hurting. We are not loved. We are loving. When you put that in the verb form, it shows you that it's an active process. And your brain works the same way with neurotransmitters. So if you come from a group of people that had had tough times, as my people did during the um, Middle Ages up until the early 1700s, you, you would see that the warrior spirit comes with a heavy price and there is a tendency that people have, like with the Irish, I have Irish blood so I can say it, I have Irish blood too, uh, there's a tendency for alcoholism, there's a tendency through all these things in your genes and when you actually do a DNA test you see just, just how much it can show you, it is, it is proven. So what's not proven is what you feel when you go to a place, as my father did after World War II, and as I, I did the other day, and I continually go in there and feel that. Now, now of course, I have his stories, and they do, they do kind of give me a, a sense of what he felt, and I know the context of it. Whereas if I had never been to a place, he'd never known that he'd been there, um, I would maybe not feel these as heavily. These heavily pulls on your soul. I've been to other places I've never been to and could find my way around town and, of course, found out later on that my ancestors had lived there, too, on my mother's side. So I'm not a, I'm not a believer in some of these things, but I'm not uh, a skeptic or a doubter. I just, I just take them for what they are. When I'm somewhere, I just go with a feeling, the emotion of the place and that's what I draw on. So I went to Portage and my father would always talk about being a young boy and going to the Wilmore Dam, which is a big lake near Portage, which really has no easy way to it. And I would always laugh because he'd always, when he was alive, he'd never taken me there. Never. He would sneak into it as a kid. At that time, it was a reservoir. He never took me there. <laughs> as much fishing as we'd done through the years, as many places as I revisit, that's one place. I, I know my dad, learned how to fish there. He had all these memories as a kid. He It was his bread and butter. To me, I'd never never been there with him. And it, it It's a sad thought to think that, but we just... Never did it. We always had so many other things and we were in Portage to do that we never got around to it. And, of course, he would go on his own when he'd be up by himself and he'd probably go there. But what he would do, he would sneak in and he would catch. Uh, there's not very many trout in the Wilmore Dam. There's some people go there and fish he had a guy he'd go with that uh older guy that liked to catch uh carp and he'd go with him and help him out he was a young kid you know bring his carp in but he liked eating the uh perch the bluegill the the bass uh, the sunfish the panfish you know and he would he would clean them and he would take this clay this there's a type of clay that grows along the Wilmore Dam or is along the Wilmore Dam, doesn't grow there. And you'd pack them in it. And you could build a little fire and bake them in it. And when they were done, you just crack the 
the, the clay and it would bake it and it would be like two pieces of uh, plate with the fish right cooked into it, into the, uh, in the inside of it. <laughs> so I grew up with these stories of him skipping school, play, playing hooky from school, sneaking into the Wilmore Dam. Him and his buddy Paul Bruchnick. And there's another guy. I wanted to always meet Paul. My dad would go up to the American Legion. He'd go up by himself. Oh, I ran into Paul. Oh, I've seen Paul. We were drinking. Oh, you got to meet Paul. And every time we'd go up, I'd even go in the American Legion with him. It just so happened to be a day where Paul Bruchnick was not there. And out of 100 days of the of a summer, Paul Bruchnick would be there every day, and except for that day, of course. So I live. I live so much through his stories. I, I did meet other people that he knew, and a lot of it's a lot of it's lost in the past ten years. There are a few people still alive. I was very excited to see that my uncle John, who was a war hero, was not the very great husband. My father would be so mad that I said that because he always stood up for my Uncle John. Because John had, John had been through a lot in the war. And uh, in fact, one time this guy had gotten a name wrong and thought John was somebody else after John had long passed and was going around saying things that this child had been born out of wedlock and that. and was It wasn't John's kid, but my dad was really mad about it. He was really pissed. Um... He stood up for the honor of things, people. So, I, I have a cousin that is a son. I went up, took a video, and I was doing a doing a vid, private video thing for him. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to drive up to the Wilmore Dam, and I'm going to do some walking. Uh, Law Street actually drives up to it and around it. Law Street right now is not the Law Street that would have been around in my dad's time. In my dad's time, I believe Law Street went near the old mines. And being that it was a private road for this this reservoir, you could probably drive along it, but there weren't cars. My dad didn't even have a car when he was a kid. It was it was like a nineteen uh Model T and uh that his father had and made into a chicken coop because he just said, Well, you can walk everywhere. And at that time he lived in town. He didn't need a car. Just the same way as people might find that strange. But it's the same way a lot of people in New York City and other cities don't need a car. Because it's it's not, you don't need it. You're not using it. You, you don't have that. So a lot of these were still wagon paths and horse paths. Dirt roads. You can look into the history of the first automobiles and see some of the roads these cars drove on and I'm, I'm going back in time when I go there the road at the because the state now owns it the road going up to the Wilmore Dam Law Street is a very rough but it's not it's not a narrow road in any sense but it's a dirt road that is very rough to ride on there are a lot of potholes that you could lose your tire in so you don't you don't drive it very fast and it, it it always gets me every time I go up and see people with huge boats that are taken out and think 
I'm having a hard time getting here in my Subaru. <laughs> so I uh, went up there to uh, Wilmore Dam. And you're, you're, the first thing you see when you pull in is this beautiful spillway. You can't really go near, but it's an old spillway from the WCCC days and before that, uh, how people did that stonework. And this massive lake that's many miles long loops up to the right and there's another access road that I've never been able to get to. But I walked, I walked Law Street, and I did this in the, the feeling and sense of my father, walking up along it. And it's, it was leaves had fallen, there were trees falling over the road. It's a dirt road. These trees, about sixty years old, seventy years old. So at the time of my father. A lot of these trees probably were not there. It would have been wooded on the Portage side, but on the Law Street side, it would have been a road. And I had this, this all these premonitions, these feelings coming back that just, just feeling my father there. And I walk up, and there's there's these stone concrete pillars, and they're a fence. And I thought, oh my God, you know, where have I seen this? Where have I where where have I Wow. And I'm I'm touching them just thinking to myself, I have I've seen this fence before. I've been here before. But it, it didn't look anything like this. And I'm getting a picture in my mind going back to the nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, nineteen forties of this this fence that goes along the road. And I, I, I had a memory of climbing over it, okay? It would have probably been my dad's memory of climbing over this fence, sneaking in, going fishing. And I thought, how how ridiculous, how ridiculous. Your mind is racing. Your mind is wandering. Because I, I was back about four miles or five miles along the edge of the lake when I came upon this uh, fence. There's a lot of really nice fishing areas and picnic areas along there, by the way. If you want want something really private and you want to get away with your family by by the lake, it's it's beautiful. But these these concrete stone pylons were guarded by this grid pattern fence. It was rusted off, and I thought, I wonder how old they are. So I'm walking along it, and there's this massive oak tree. I couldn't even reach around it, and one was growing right in the middle of it. And the tree next to it actually had the wire growing right through the middle of it. So I thought, okay, yeah, these are very old. These would date back to my father's time as a child. And it made me smile. Now that it's snowing, the weather's colder, I, I would like to take my kayak up there. It's a, it's a very deep lake. It scares me a little bit to, to go out on it because of just how it's, it's an intimidating lake. Uh, there's about three lakes like that in Pennsylvania that I find that I've been to. There's probably more that are intimidating to take a watercraft on, 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 on. One being Kinzu Reservoir up towards the New York border. The other being the Queen Mahoning Reservoir. And this being um, the Wilmore Dam Reservoir. These reservoirs were built uh, for water so they made them very deep and they didn't consider them as being something anybody would use for anything else 
and when you when you go off, you're going off into two, three feet of water to eighty feet of water in a minute. So it's it's you have to really be aware of your strengths and weaknesses in a kayak. But I want to do that do that next year. I guess I'm gonna have to say no. Again, all these things we had planned this year didn't pan out the way we wished. But, but the one more dam, I, I, I sat there, I did a couple of poetry readings there, and I sat there and I really thought about my father's life. And instead of writing a book, I'll write a book, oh, my dad, my dad and his life, my dad, my dad, you know, I might do that yet. I might do a book about him. I started writing one, and I keep thinking, wow, I, I just don't have the ability to tell the story the way he would, and it makes me sad, and it makes me miss him, and then at that point, I'm at a different point than where I need to be and want to be writing. But I, I find that if I can tell these stories like, like on here, in a podcast, and kind of capture them the way he would have, it's a reminder of what, what America is and what made America great. These, these, these people that worked the way his father did. The times of innocence when he, like he had where he could just sneak out of school and sneak in this big massive reservoir, go fishing and sit along it all day and cook up some fish and just be like Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> you know? what, a, what a beautiful time it was for him to, to live and grow up and course world war ii and korea were not great that that really was a different experience for him but when you capture his childhood in those early years it's always portage that makes me think so much of him and i win this with another thing about this pen i got it's honey colored remember him saying how some of those big trees along the one more dam would have uh Bees that would be in them, and they they get honey from them. He uh, knew how to survive, my old man. <laughs> Look into these these small towns you drive through. Look into the history of them. Look into the people that whose names are forgotten. They're etched on stone that many names have faded with the numbers and become lost. Look at look at all the, these these old histories of people and these families. You will find what made America great. I am so glad that we're going back to Hopefully, not a time politically one way or the other, but where we can treat people with dignity, respect. Think of those immigrants that are coming in and remember the immigrants you're descended from that came in. This should be a very simple thing, but uh, the past few years it hasn't been, and I've been appalled at just the... Uh, the rhetoric, the rhetoric that debases others and elevates those who are undeserving.
my family didn't come from a lot when they came over here. They were Russian Cossacks and the Ulysses and the Koshas that later changed the name to Simo. The uh, Dillas, Tercos. These are names to me that uh, are wretched in my heart when I think of small town America, the sacrifices of our ancestors, the coal miners, the men who worked in mines or in steel mills. Really powerful stuff.